electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Meg Terrell. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, my conversation with UC Berkeley biochemist and 2020 Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Jennifer Doudna. She's the co-inventor of CRISPR, a genome editing technology that's revolutionizing science. Dr. Doudna joined me at CNBC's Evolve Global Summit on June 16, 2021, to talk about curiosity-driven science, making medical treatments affordable and accessible and using CRISPR technology to address climate change and prevent disease. Here's our conversation. To help people understand exactly what CRISPR is and in the years since you and Emmanuel Charpentier co-discovered it, um, what the applications have been so far? Well, I like to describe CRISPR as a technology for cutting the genome. It's a way to manipulate genetic sequences precisely and accurately and easily in a way that hasn't really been accessible to science before this. And interestingly, it's notable that the technology came from curiosity-driven science, fundamental research that led in an unexpected direction, namely to harnessing CRISPR, which is naturally a bacterial immune system as this technology for genetic manipulation. And so now scientists can use this worldwide to understand the function of genes, but also importantly, to actually change genes, edit them to remove disease-causing mutations or introduce traits that are desirable. Um, And where would you say the applications of CRISPR are versus perhaps expectations of the technology in terms of developing new medicines for human health? It's certainly extraordinary to me that we're less than 10 years out from the publication of our work, and already there are clinical trials showing CRISPR to be effective in treating or even curing diseases like sickle cell disease or thalassemia. So um, it's really been one of the fastest rollouts, I think, of a technology from the fundamental initial science to an actual application in you know, in my, certainly in my scientific experience. And why is that? Well, I think it's largely because the technology comes at a moment when there's enormous demand for genome editing, as well as a lot of knowledge about genomes. We have genome sequences at our fingertips, and increasingly we understand the function of genes in genomes, but this tool provides something that wasn't available previously, which is an easy way to manipulate those sequences. So I think those things come together to enable the rollout of CRISPR in the clinic, but also in other applications, for example, in agriculture that are happening now as well. Mm. In terms of human health, and I want to ask you about agriculture as well, um, but what have been some of the challenges to figuring out how to use this, what sounds like incredibly simple and powerful technology, um, delivery, for example, how, um, what challenges exist there and how have some of them been overcome? Well, simple is a relative term. It's a technology that can be readily deployed by people that know how to use it. 
Um, but as you said, there are certain challenges that I think will continue to, to require innovation. And one of them is delivery, which means how we introduce gene editing molecules into cells where they can have an effect. And this is maybe especially an issue in clinical medicine where being able to edit brain cells or heart cells or muscle cells has incredible potential. But right now we don't really have the tools to introduce the editors into those cells. We have the editors, we just don't know how to get them where they need to go. How close do you think we are to actually working out some of those problems and how much will that unlock in, in terms of the kinds of diseases that can be treated? And what is your vision for how much CRISPR or similar technologies will be able to change medicine and how much disease it will be able to tackle? The early applications of CRISPR in medicine have focused primarily on what we call ex vivo therapy, which means being able to manipulate cells in the laboratory and then reintroduce them into a patient. This is why sickle cell disease has been such a great target, actually, is that blood stem cells can be harvested, edited, and then reinfused into patients. Likewise, going after genetic diseases of the eye is also an attractive uh, focus for CRISPR because of the relative, um, I don't want to say ease, but you know, it's easier certainly to deliver to the eye than to other parts of the body. So I think we'll see, continue to see advances in, in those areas and in liver uh, diseases because the liver is, again, an organ that naturally takes up molecules in the body. So it's been, again, relatively easy to deliver to those uh, liver cells. But um, going beyond that, getting to the brain, getting to the heart, muscle, et cetera, will continue to require innovation. There are some technologies already that are, you know, enable some of this, for example, using various kinds of viruses or virus-like particles. And I'm excited about, you know, the innovation that will come in the next few years in this regard. Mm. How do you look at the accessibility and the affordability of treatments like this? I mean, they are at the early stages, but they're labor intensive and, and often the sort of equation of these often maybe one-time treatments or the goal being one-time treatments means the price tag's very high. Um, I'm curious to know what you think about that sort of business model and the, the ability of all patients to be able to access these kinds of therapies and also how you see the role of the scientist, the inventor in, in playing a part in um, how accessible these therapies are. I founded the Innovative Genomics Institute at Berkeley and UC San Francisco a few years ago with exactly this goal in mind. In other words, taking the transformative potential of CRISPR and applying it in ways that have an eye towards affordability and accessibility. Because I think for the CRISPR technology ultimately to be widely impactful, we do need to figure out how we're going to get it to the people that can benefit from it. Right now, for example, uh, treating sickle cell disease with a CRISPR therapy take, costs about $2 million a patient. And that is clearly not a price point that will make this available to most people that can benefit from it. So I think that by looking at ways to reduce the cost of the technology, which does include addressing the delivery challenge, as well as figuring out ways to scale uh, the molecule production so that uh, we reduce costs. I think that's key. So at the Innovative Genomics Institute, we're partnering academicians like me uh, together with entrepreneurs and companies so that we can make sure that 
We have academics working in the areas where they can best contribute, often in the areas of innovation, and having companies and entrepreneurs contributing where they can best uh, bring value to the table, which often as a, is at the stage of, of production and manufacturing. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I want to ask you also about agricultural applications of CRISPR. What role do you see it playing there? Huge. I think the opportunities in agriculture are just beginning. Imagine having a tool that gives plant breeders the ability to introduce changes to plants without requiring months or even years of random mutagenesis of DNA followed by selection for desired traits. That's how plant breeding has been done forever. And now with CRISPR, we have finally a way to manipulate just the genes that can have a benefit in plants without touching anything else and do it obviously a lot faster than traditional uh, breeding takes place. So this is opening the door to lots of things now that can be done to both address uh, challenges of climate change, uh, dealing with drought conditions, introducing traits in the plants that give them protection against pests. And um, I, I would just, I have to mention too, that, you know, there's also the opportunity to manipulate microbes that are in the soil, in the water, are obviously integral to agricultural success across the planet. Hmm. Well, going back to the microbe idea, you mentioned that this was a discovery that came out of curiosity-driven science, I think in work on, on bacteria. Um, there's always been a pressure on on science um, to be you know, translatable into applications for medicine or agriculture, but that's often not how the most exciting and important discoveries are made. Can, can you talk a little bit about the importance of basic research and whether you feel an increasing amount of pressure on translation and, and what impact that could have? It seems to me that we always need to be balancing fundamental research with application-focused science. We need both, but we really need both. And, and um, sometimes things get a little bit off kilter. There's too much focus on one or the other. Usually it's in the direction of applications for understandable reasons. People say, well, you know, why aren't we working on curing cancer or solving heart disease? Um, and, and I would just point out that um, nature still has a lot to teach us. And, you know, CRISPR, again, is, a, is an interesting example of a technology that came out of very small scale science, really. It was curiosity driven work being done by just a handful of labs around the world 
that were focused on microbiology, uh, some people in the food industry who were working on these bacterial immune systems that led to the science that enabled the technology. And then of course the technology enables more science. So it, you know, they really kind of go hand in hand. My last question for you is, I can't believe we've had this wonderful conversation and I haven't even mentioned the pandemic and now I'm going to ruin it and mention it. But I'm curious to know, how do you think, if you think this is the case, the pandemic has changed science in the long term? Has it had an impact in either showing the power of, of how we can develop these amazing vaccines so quickly or, or in the ways that you do your work? Um, how has the pandemic changed what you do? I sure hope it has in positive ways. You mentioned vaccines. What an extraordinary example of the success of science. And that's a great you know, case for the, the importance of fundamental research because honestly, it was the fundamental research done over the previous couple of decades that revealed how messenger RNA could be used for vaccinations, which is the, the basis of both the Pfizer BioNTech and the Moderna vaccines that many people have now received. So I think that's, that's uh, one thing to keep in mind. I do think that the, the pace of science perhaps has almost uh, increased, if that's it's a little bit hard to believe, but uh, I think it has uh, during the pandemic because of the extraordinary need for science and scientists to address this global health emergency. And going along with that, we've seen an, an increase in posting of publications, you know, preprints to um, what we call preprint servers that give scientists and everybody access to the results of scientific work in real time. I think that's a, a very positive outcome as well. That was Dr. Jennifer Dowden, a winner of the 2020 Nobel Prize in Chemistry. She joined me at CNBC's Evolve Global Summit on June 16th, 2021. The keynote is produced by the CNBC Events team. For more information on upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, please visit cnbcevents.com. I'm Meg Terrell. Thanks for listening. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.